this series, which I'm just calling What is Life, uh, is really, it's an excuse for me to persuade people like yourself that I really would like to have a conversation with, to engage in a conversation about starting, really, with that, just starting with that really obvious underlying, the big question that's so big you can't even put it into words, that, you know, what it, and, 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 and wanting to engage not just as somebody who's written books and, and, but just as a human being in this experience and, and say to you as one human being to another, you know, what you've been here now for quite some decades. What, what do you think this is? And, and what should we do with it? What, what, what does it have any, what is this? What is this that we're in, <laughs> that we're experiencing here together? Yes. Right. Well, what a place to start. <laughs> <coughs> You know, first of all, we, as human beings, have these hearts. And by the heart, I mean something that knows value, that longs for relationship, that is the instrument and a cognitive instrument for experiencing this thing called life. So life is more than just a biological phenomenon. Life is not, you know, just an, some kind of uh, energy that arises from a random material universe and, you know, gets the cells moving and so forth. But consciousness is an irreducible property of this thing called life. And <clears throat> consciousness is really an insufficient word because... Consciousness seems to imply some merely mental phenomenon, like consciousness, I'm conscious that it's raining today, I'm conscious that I'm speaking to you. But really, in this realm of consciousness, there's not only this mental awareness, but there's also a heart awareness. Meaning, I mean, why does it matter? Why? Why do we even care to talk about these things? Why did you reach it? Why are you reaching out to people to ask these questions and to, to, in a sense, why do we play in the fields of meaning? Yeah. And by meaning, again, I always want to clarify, we're not talking about just some mental phenomena, something that, uh, uh, has to do with analysis, but meaning is what touches our heart. You know, when somebody, you listen to a great poet and suddenly you're struck by something that a metaphor that means something, you know, this great beast slouching towards Bethlehem. Isn't that a Yeats line? Right? That's Yeats. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. You know? Yeah. Whoa, okay, wait, now wait, wait a minute, what's he talking about and why do you yeah. care? Um, so, so the human so, being co communicates through so many ways, through metaphor, but ultimately there is uh, this effect that it has that touches us deeply, and it's much more than mental curiosity, much more than uh, amazement over some you know, virtu uh, virtuosity of analysis, 
but something that actually affects the human heart. I just want to include this in our definition of consciousness. I love that. It's because, so, so I, uh, I've been thinking quite a bit actually about what, when we, when we say in this context, the heart, and trying to understand, you know, it's, it, it often feels like the perfect word and, and, and why. So it's, got, it's, a, it's presumably a metaphor for there's the heart in the body, which is playing, you know, it's like right there. It's something, this, and, and as an image for something which exists in a different way in the center of our soul, if, 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 our, our, that, that other thing that also has a kind of a heart, has a center. And so I, I have, I, I completely get what you're saying. And, I, and I, I, I do wrestle with trying to understand what that, what is the heart, that thing which, I know it motivates everything I do, actually. What, and what it, what, why we use that metaphor. Yes. yes. <clears throat> well, I wrote a book about 20 years ago called The Knowing Heart. And even though my ideas have developed since then, I tried to describe the heart as a fundamental way of knowing that allows us to know a qualitative universe, not just the universe of the senses. So, you know, you, you and I have both been at the uh, Science and Non-Duality Conference a number of years. And several years ago, I, in my talk there, I introduced the idea that it's as if we live in two universes at the same time yes and one universe is the universe explored by science by quantum physics for instance which is an amazing universe especially uh, it seems to provide amazing metaphors for uh, mystics <laughs> and yet that the exploration of that physical universe through mathematics and instrumentation is always looking at a quantitative universe. And it tells us nothing about the qualitative universe, which is where all meaningful, valuable human experience lies. And even if, we, even if someone claimed to be atheist or agnostic, we could have a discussion and we could, we could ask the question, why is it? that our most meaningful experiences, why is it that what we most value is invisible and not material? Yes. In other words, and we could say, you know, obvious things like love. I mean, is there any, any sane, healthy human being that, who doesn't want to be loved, who doesn't want to be in relationship? Mm -hmm. Why? Why do we care? But we can even go deeper than that to something we can call conscience and integrity, mm -hmm. a healthy, sane, balanced human being, conscience and even the sense of integrity is what may guide our choices, why we don't always act in our obvious self-interest, but why we can put the needs of others ahead of our own and act what seems to be almost irrationally guided by this inner conscience. So the heart has, you know, now we're getting at the heart, that there's something in us that grasps 
a universe of meaning, a universe of relationship, a universe where I am not the single most important reality and relationship and the whole also matters, but it matters and it matters in a way that um, includes beauty or appreciation of beauty, appreciation of um, the beauty of human relationships, uh, the whole, this whole realm of human experience, which is, seems to be intermixed with this material universe, and yet not exactly the same. So, um, I, you know, we could say that the heart is the instrument for the exploration of this universe of meaning, value, and qualities. So, so we live in a universe of qualities as well as quantities. Would you, would you, here, here's a, 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 a really um, obvious observation which I find compelling, I've been exploring, in, is that the, the, some of what you're saying is just, you know, so obvious, no one could dispute it. So right now I'm clearly experiencing two worlds. I'm experiencing a world of the senses and a world of images, the imagination, the psyche, or the soul if you give it that old fashioned name. And I'm always in those two. I'm always, and one is made of matter and is linked, it seems primarily through various forms of causality. And one is not made of matter and seems to be linked through meaning and stories. And I wonder whether what we're talking about with the heart is like, just as in that world of matter and biology and causality, the heart is central to what it is to be a body that in the same way in, the, in, in what I am and what you are on this immaterial level, there's many different aspects to that too. There's the, the intellect, which plays a certain role, which can be very insightful, but can also be quite cold and analytical. And then there's, and then there's something right at the depths of it, which has this direct knowing of something, where you experience that, that gnosis, that, that deep knowing, and, you, and, and that idea of conscience, that with knowing, con sciences with knowing you're gonna that, that, that there's that the heart is like the that the, like the heart of the soul like there's the heart of the body something like that well put well put um, i wouldn't say that the heart is the absolute center but i would say let's imagine and here this is a subtle but i think very important point yeah in the realm of spiritual psychology that within the self, which we can also loosely call the soul, the psyche, within the psyche, yep. uh, psyche contains lots of things. It contains, I mean, for example, our resentments, our disappointments, our negative yep. things, everything, positive, yep. lusts, et cetera, et cetera. But within the psyche, we have this heart. And, you know, spiritual teachings mostly center around the renovation of the heart. You, we could say the purification of the heart, and I would like to say the polishing of the mirror of the heart, of egoistic distortions. So the heart can be in many different states. It can be, the heart can be hardened, diseased, numbed, but it also can be healthy, awake, refined so 
this is our human responsibility uh, to care for the heart in order that the heart can guide us truly, can more accurately reflect that universe of qualities, that universe of meaning. But we're still not finished because within the heart, which is individualized, my heart is not exactly your heart. Um, even though there may be some overlap. <laughs> I suspect there will be some. <laughs> uh, but then uh, spiritual traditions also talk about something that we can call spirit. Yeah. And we can envision spirit as something like a dimensionless point centered in the heart, as the heart is the center of the psyche. Yeah. The center of the heart is a dimensionless point called yeah. spirit. And we call it dimensionless because it's not of this dimension. And yet in its non-dimensionality, it contains everything. It yeah. contains every virtue, every beauty, uh, every form of intelligence is, is uh, sourced in spirit. And that spirit that is within us is, again, it's non-dimensional, so it's outside of the world of existence. It's located in some sense closer to us than our very souls in a way. Yeah. And yeah. yet our, our point of contact, our portal to something. <laughs> I completely divine. resonate with with exactly what you're saying, Kabir. And I, I would, I would, uh, you know, it's lovely to hear it said in different language, but the same thing. And 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 the dimensionless point is one I'm familiar with from the work I used to do with the Gnostic Christians, because that's very much the metaphor they use from from Pythagoras, mm. that the, oh. the that 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 right at the centre there was this thing which was everywhere because it was dimensionless but it was the center of the circle in which the body was the outside and then the circumference was the sorry the circumference of the body and the radius was the soul and then the center was spirit which was the place where there's one of us and they imagine one of the images they use which is actually i think also is used by plotinus the neoplatonist is the idea of infinite radii souls coming out from this one center um, right. And then being these different bodies, um, but all coming from this, so that the uh, the thing which you get, I think, in most of the non-dual traditions, that you come back far enough into your being, and there's one of us looking out through yeah. different eyes, and the the profundity of that. Yes. Which 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 you, brings? Sorry, go on. Say. No, uh, it's. I think it's so important to recognize that there is a common metaphysics running through. Uh, the Western esoteric traditions through Sufism, through yeah. Islam, uh, and back through some of the Gnostics, Neoplatonists, right to the heart of the uh, mystery traditions of the West. And uh, essentially you find the same thing in the, all the way back to the Vedas. Yeah. So one of the things which I've had happened for me over the last, I'm not sure exactly how long, but it's the last phase of my life, I would say, um, which has been a slight transition, is, is that my first phase as a writer, when I wrote lots of books, was exactly on looking at the perennial philosophy and writing about all of those different traditions you've mentioned, really going, look, in the center of this, there's this waking up to 
what we've been calling the heart. This, and then through the heart coming to this knowledge of the oneness of spirit and, and the love that pours from that. And there's a commonality here. And, and then a thing which has come into that is this story from modern science of the evolution of the cosmos. And it's made me see that slightly differently or want to bring them together. And I, and, and I know we connected very, the very first time at the Science and Non-Duality conference. And, and I think it was the one on emergence, actually, which was why I wanted to be there. And I just wondered how that sat for you coming from a, a, a Sufi background. Because the, 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 the thing which I've, the, if I tried to define how it's changed, I think before I would have felt the more traditional view that the, the, the nature of the heart and the, the depths of the soul were already kind of there. I'd lost them. I needed to get back to them. Whereas now it feels much more like everything, the all form, including subtle form, like my soul or my psyche, is evolving. It's a more positive story. It's not a story of a falling away from something which I need to get back to, but actually a flowering into something. Um, and I know there's one, I remember one beautiful poem by, by Rumi when I was writing about Rumi in which he talks about, I was once a rock, I was once a plant, I was once, and you get this kind of evolutionary <laughs> picture. And I wondered how that fitted together for you these days. Yes. I, I'm not convinced that the divine is evolving or emerging through the physical universe. The way I would view it so far <laughs> is that everything in existence, in a sense, if there's a purpose to existence, and the, to me there seems to be, a, experientially, there seems to be a purposefulness yeah. in life as I've experienced it, an almost relentless guidance. Uh, and so far, what I feel that my heart has been guided to is a sort of awesome wonder at the generosity of existence and the beauty, intelligence of this generosity. How does that, how does that, how does that sit with the opposite of, of that for you, Kabir? Because I know exactly what you mean. How does it fit with the... the yeah. The devastation, <laughs> yeah. the suffering of life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they come together, don't they? Yes, they have to be acknowledged uh, and held side by side that there are, is in this reality, you might say two categories of qualities, and they're the qualities of beauty and nurturance, um, compassion, etc. And on the other hand, there are the qualities of power and even destruction. Um, stringency. So, but metaphysically, it can be proposed that the qualities of beauty and nurturance rule. They are the bottom line, and that the qualities of stringency and power are in ultimately in the service of mercy beauty, and nurturance. And for the being who is conscious and 
finds a certain relationship to the real, <laughs> what is real, that there will always be a channel back to that divine mercy, compassion, beauty, nurturance, even in the most stringent, even in the most devastating and cruel circumstances of human life. That so, sometimes those circumstances that bring us back to an experience of the mercy, but since there's also always free will, the soul is free to react with resentment, with bitterness, with complaining. But the soul that embraces, simply embraces what is, no matter what it is, embraces it, there is an experiential uh, channel, a way, a portal, uh, through which this greater reality of nurturance, beauty, and love is realized. So I, I completely get that uh, and, and really resonate with it. And you, you said it so beautifully. So the thing which I've been exploring, I guess for me, the problem came when I realized I was fine with that in my life. I just wasn't fine with it in the life of a six-year-old baby with AIDS. And that made me wonder whether to redeem that, which feels redeemable because the level of goodness is overwhelming. How can there be such goodness and this? Yeah. Whether the evolutionary picture was the thing that could redeem it. Because then, then rather than the, the, the goodness being the foundation, it was actually the other way around. It was the goodness was the flowering from the foundation, which redeemed the journey it had been on. So that the whole of the, le the, the, the lower levels of existence, the physics, the biology, and all, the, and all of the, the history, that had, that, that which, which is the one which is embedded with all of this, was flowering into this enormous love, into the beloved. The universe was flowering into the beloved. And that we were reaching through that. And then as we did that, we could bring into the world this uh, incredible, uh, all those beautiful qualities which you so beautifully talked about, rather than those being the foundation and these being what? That, do you understand what I'm playing with? Yeah, I understand. But doesn't that imply somehow that the, in this flowering, that there was less of it before and there will be more of it later? Yes, it does. And I think that's where I started to look for real meaning that this process we're in, it feels like there is that thing you called spirit, which I would use that word too, that, that being, it feels like that's the potentiality for everything, which is just realizing itself in these ever more emergent ways on this evolutionary journey. And I am that, I am this potentiality realizing itself on, as this particular possibility, which is why when I reach deeper into the heart, it feels like that has meaning because I'm, I'm finding it's not like I'm finding something I've just forgotten or lost. It's more than that. It's actually, I'm the, the, sometimes it's that, but also there's a growing into something where I'm forming myself in a deeper way. And that the, in the nature of the divine is to always realize itself as something greater. That's its greatness rather than it being already, you know. <clears throat> well, here I, I need to quote a, a great saint, uh, Bob Dylan. <laughs> Uh, who says, 
He says, man, it ain't about finding anything. It's about what you create. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's it. You just nailed it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for bringing in St. Bob. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, but yes. And so I'm curious as to what you're saying. I mean, I can understand that. And that's not in conflict with these systems of the past, that especially in the experience of your life, my life, um, there is a progression. There is something progressive. And you use the word evolving. And uh, is, does it, whether it implies the whole universe is evolving or whether the universe is simply fulfilling its potential, I guess these are fine distinctions. Uh, uh, it doesn't quite make sense to me that the universe needs to evolve except in each individual's realization of the infinite possibilities that are latent within existence possibilities yeah. latent within existence yeah which it could another word for the divine and whatever we want to call it but yeah you know for instance uh, when you think about the human being, um, okay, I'm just giving an example here, uh, a little bit of a sidebar. There is a dear, a beloved brother who appears regularly at Sand, and I won't mention his name. <laughs> but he presents enlightenment. His view of reality is something like this, that reality is... Um, uh, it's a non-differentiated reality. Everything out there is a non-differentiated reality, and it's we who do the differentiation. So that there is no such thing as a galaxy until an astronomer points at it and says, oh, that's a galaxy. So it's the human being, and his idea of enlightenment is to realize this, simply to realize this, that it's all what we do to it. Now, what I think is being missed in this proposal, first of all, I don't think this is a very useful truth. If it is true, I don't think it's a useful truth. <laughs> I don't think it helps anyone because it contains, it doesn't point towards any value. It doesn't connect us to anything of value. It just tells us that human subjectivity can do whatever it wants to this non-differentiated reality. But there's another view of this, which is that the human entity with its consciousness and its latent appreciation of value and longing for greater value uh, is like the holographic child of the greater whole containing in potential all the attributes of that greater whole, which are infinitely real realizable. And that, so it's in the nature of this consciousness, which is like a hologram of the hollow whole, to actualize itself in the realm of meaning and beauty and relationships and love. So all of this is inherent in us. And what you like to call evolution, 
Uh, we can call it evolution, but I also have to say that, in my opinion, evolution, as, as it's been used, as it is currently used in academia, is one of the stupidest dogmas on earth. What do you mean by what? What do you mean by evolution in that sentence? Because we may mean different things. Yes, I'm sure we do. <laughs> uh, what, 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 what's the one that you think evolution, is stupid? Just to give it. Evolution being the random mutation for survival purposes. Okay. Okay. So, so I, so when I'm using the word evolution, I'm not talking about something biological. I'm talking about the emergence of the of of everything. So yes. it's nothing to do with genes or random selections. That may or may not be how it functions in a biological sphere, but sure as hell that isn't how it functioned to create the stars. Uh, but yes. something created the stars. And, and the, the, the thing that I found attractive, having rejected science, I mean, I, because I resonate so much, I think, with the experience you're describing, for me, when I was younger, I just dismissed science. And I dismissed it because it didn't seem to have any heart. It was like, well, I could spend my life studying how this all works, but that will never show me value. And if I have no value, that's all that matters to me is to understand that. So I dismissed it. Right. And then I kind of came back to it much later in life and realized there was this amazing story it had developed about how everything had come into being. And what, what I found intriguing about it was that, you, that, that it was a story that had got us from hydrogen, basic matter, through to the physical universe, through to life, through to psyche, to meaning. And so in a way it had gone, look, there's a process where, which had, has flowered into this realm of meaning. This, the material had become non-material. Now, if you get rid of the reductionism, which goes, oh, well, the most basic level is the real one. And you go, well, that's not true. The whole thing's real. In fact, what's happened is more and more reality has come into being then we're in a world now where it's like, wow, all of that has led, just like Tim has grown from this little fertilized egg into this whole thing, which is having ideas and is, is relating to you and to the universe. So the whole universe has come into this thing through us. And then we are that process on this other level. And we're doing it right now. We're actually creating as we speak in this non-material realm of, of psyche and meaning and story. Yeah. And, and that felt like, wow, that's a, that's a really interesting insight, which can plug into traditional spirituality. It, it shifts it slightly. It takes it away from the idea of a fall. It takes it away from the idea that it was already there and we kind of got lost and there's something wrong. And instead of there being anything wrong, it goes, no, no, it's going from the more primitive, if you like, the more, the more foundational is, is evolving into the more emergent, the higher levels. And so the heart is, is actually just like my, in my own life, coming from an embryo to this, yeah. I've developed into a being who has a relationship with the divine and da, 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 consciously, and that the whole universe has done that in some way. Um, and there's something, something feels redemptive about that for me as well. It, 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 it allows me to, to, to appreciate and allow all the lower levels, which can be so ugly, because they've, they've led to this and are still leading to this. I think that's the thing which pulls me into it. I get, yeah, no, I, yes, I'm with you completely. I was just bracketing this, the dogma of evolution. Yes, um, yes, I'm with you. <laughs> or we'll say, for instance, the reason why I care about you or you care about me is because it has survival value in the past. That's such a good we, example, I think, of the real problem. Because it feels like the real problem is reductionism. 
Yes. And, and, and what I love about th- where science has actually ended up, if it did but know it, because most scientists don't, is it's, it's actually ended up with something which is complete opposite of reductionism, which is a, what, a, what one word you could use is emergentism. That it's got, because once you've, you've realised that the whole universe has emerged on these higher levels, the idea of reducing it to the lower levels is nonsense. And I think that's the thing which you're rightfully going, I, that's not right. Because it's because yeah. you know that's just not true. You can't reduce it. That's the whole point. So far, I mean, we're completely in agreement, and with just slightly different ways of languaging this. Well, let's turn our attention to uh, what may be the most significant problem of the age. Shall we do that? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Excellent. Great. That's such a good segue. Uh, which is the fact that much of our society now facing the issue of artificial intelligence, uh, there is a significant proportion of the orthodox scientific establishment uh, or technological establishment, the technocrats in the technosphere, who cannot seem to distinguish artificial intelligence from human intelligence who seem to think that artificial intelligence will one day surpass human intelligence. But in this situation, they are focusing entirely on that one dimension of reality, which is the quantitative material dimension of reality, and ignoring the inner life. They're ignoring the dimension of human will, true creativity, uh, true spirituality, and they seem to, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of technocrats seem to be oblivious to the realm of you, these, this other dimension of reality. And, you know, we just the news just came out recently that Oxford University has received the largest grant in its history to create for $200 million dollars um, I think it was 200 million. Uh, a new de- humanities institute that will also focus on issues of artificial intelligence. So people are beginning, but do they need 200 million dollars <laughs> to discover what we're already talking about? <laughs> and so, anyway, um, just to give a little background on this. Uh, another dear brother uh, who appears at Science and Non-Duality, Frederico Fagin, has spoken so eloquently uh, as a scientist and as the inventor of the, um, bum, bum, I'm forgetting the term for it, but the basic, he's invented so many of the basic uh, uh, computer. Like algorithms, those things? Or? Not the algorithms, no. the more basic... Uh, it's so foolish. I'm forgetting the term for that basic thing that makes computers work. You know what I'm talking the about? Programs or the or the or the the hardware? Or? Yeah, the hardware, the physical thing. But right. get right down to right. You know, right down to detail. Of what these? Uh, I'll think of it in a second. Yeah. Anyway, he he says something interesting, he, and I think this is very helpful. There is a concept. Are you familiar with the concept of? Uh, um, hold on. Shannon information. You know what Shannon information? Is? No, no, not never heard. Of it. 
concept. So Shannon information is a concept of science referring to quantitative information without any semantic meaning. Information without semantic meaning. So it's possible, for instance, to derive all of quantum mechanics from six postulates, which are just mathematical, you know, symbology. Right. And yet, okay, so Shannon information uh, is, and this is what all we ever have in artificial intelligence. It is symbolic information, but it has no semantic meaning because the semantic meaning was created outside of the reality which represents it. So all of digital information. Wow, really is, good. Okay, isn't this good? So yeah. we have a semantic dimension. We have two dimensions. This is another take on what I was saying earlier. Yeah, 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 I see it. Reality, and we have the symbolic dimension of reality. Yeah. And the symbolic dimension of reality creates nothing. It is the creation of the semantic uh, dimension. But he goes further to say, that in the semantic dimension, and the semantic dimension is more than semantics because it includes will, it includes um, intelligence, judgment, sense of value. All of it is inherent in this, inherent in, in as the primary experience of consciousness. But meanwhile, we're also generating in existence AI and all of its algorithms. But he also says something interesting that we also have in this material existence what he calls living symbols. They're dead symbols and they're living symbols. And Tim Freak is a living symbol <laughs> for a semantic reality, right? A, a cell, a cell which has certain properties of life. Now getting back to the question of what is life, right? So a living cell is a living symbol different from uh, just some ones and zeros of artificial intelligence. So it was beautiful um, the way that he opened up this whole, whole subject. And he's one of the, he's, this is one of the guys who is foundational in terms of creating this whole digital world that we now live in. But through his spiritual practice, he came to be able to cognize and express in scientific terms uh, these two dimensions, the semantic and the symbolic. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, and what you get with that is, is I mean, that's what you get with so clearly with that is these, well, we've been exploring it in different ways the whole way through, really, haven't we? That, that um, by increasing the uh, speed and complexity of how you can manipulate uh, numbers, you don't right. give them any, the significance is, is actually coming from something completely different. And I think often we do that. It's like, it's like a lot of the questions people have around AI, you know, will, they be, will it be conscious and all of that, is the words that slip in, like intelligence. It's like, well, that can mean so many different things. Once you've dropped it in there, you've got an intelligent machine. Well, have you? Or, or I know, and, you know, you, you can look at what, what, you know, when I look at, when I look at forms of life, which are older than human life, I can see the things which are in human beings 
in a less developed form. But when I look at my phone, I don't think, oh, it's a little bit conscious. And if only it were more complicated, it might be totally conscious. It's actually just very, very much better than me at manipulating information very fast. And it's a completely different thing, I think. And, um, and how we understand that. And then and it will govern how we answer those questions because there does seem to be a, a massive assumption. And I think that comes from the reductionism again, actually just to tie it in with that conversation, it feels like once you've got the idea that this experience we're having of meaning and of connection and of consciousness is simply reducible to neurons and chemicals and physics, then if you, and it's complexity, well, if you can make machines complex enough, they will have that as well. But if it's not that, if it's not reducible, then, um, then the whole, the whole theory, which everyone's laboring under, that somehow one day you're going to switch on the machine, it's actually going to be like talking to Kabir, it's like, oh, rather than a replica of it, um, just disappears. Now, I want to raise a very disturbing question, but to be perfectly honest about this, uh, about the nature of artificial intelligence and the development of, of quantum computers, which will yeah. be the next you know, yeah. huge leap in intelligence. Uh, could it be possible that in the realm of the psyche, there are intelligences uh, who could, in sense, enter into, collaborate with the quantum computer and take it over? Just as, you know, a soul has, takes over the brain and body of Kabir or Tim, we have a soul that is with its own will, which is distinct from the, you know, the machinery of the body, uh, and yet is a soul having it bodily experience. I mean, I think this this is a real question. Yeah, I, I think I, I think that's a real question. Yeah, and then nobody. Knows it's a different question. Before ask this question. Yeah, no, I I think it's a great question, um, and you know the. The, the the way I thought about it so far has been like, well, look, this level of psyche of soul for me, I, I think has evolved from biology, but then transcends it and is now able to exist independently of it. And, and is in this world of dreams and is in it forever. And so when the body dies, it's still there and it's coming into what I call a psychosymbiotic relationship. So this level of soul and this level of biology are coming into a symbiotic relationship and here they are being Tim right now. And then t the body will go and Tim will continue in a different form. And, but then you have got the question of, oh yeah, but could it come into a relationship with something which wasn't a body, something which was an artificial, which was a machine? Could, is yeah. that possible? Um, something so that, that it feels to me at the moment Without which, yeah, it does. It feels to me at the moment that the the tradition, the dualistic tradition, not 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 as if there's always, you know, it's all one, but there's two within the one, and that that these two levels are not the same, and that there's a body which is, the body which is looking and listening, and then there's soul which is interpreting and and the you know it's, it's dealing with all of that in quality as you said and value. And those two are working together right now. And I do experience my body. It's got its own agenda. It's not always the same as my soul's agenda. And I have to work with it. And sometimes I have to override it. And there's all that relationship between these parts yeah. of myself. 
how would that be if I was in relationship directly with a machine instead, I think is what you're saying. And that's an incredibly interesting question. I don't even, I don't know. What do you think? Um, I'll tell you where that leads me is into the realm of uh, divine reality, which I believe to be fundamentally loving that the nature of the ultimate nature of reality is love. Yeah. So everything that happens beneath uh, the throne to just to use a metaphor beneath the throne of love uh, is a struggle between dark and light and uh, beauty and ugliness, etc., etc. But love rules because love created all of this in order to be known. So just again, as a little aside, I think the difference between your emergent proposition of emergent qualities and the way I would see things uh, may have to do with the uh, aware, you know, do we, do we posit a pre-existing infinite potential of love? pre-existing infinite potential what i want to do just so you get it what i want to do is take that sentence that infinite potential of love and stretch it so that the whole of existence is the infinite potential evolving into love and that that's what it is it is the infinite potential of love but that's what the whole of time is it's the movement between the infinite potential to its most sublime realization which is the beloved which is the universe conscious of itself in love with itself and right. and that that's my work that's my so far hypothesis you know way of going that's that that redeems the journey yes then i think that the fact that this potential that's being realized is not just something accidentally, randomly produced by matter or even by what you call narrative, but that 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 potential we could call in this case the divine. We can call uh, that infinite potential of love, which is realized in time. Something like that, mm -hmm. and, and so we agree about we agree on that. So back to the. The, the the scary proposition <laughs> the uh, quantum computer being uh, um, uh, you know taken over uh, by some dark intelligence or some non-loving intelligence. Uh, I think we always have to acknowledge that that something like that is a possibility. But if it's so. Uh, do you recognize, do you see anything operating in this existence in time of uh, a potential of love that always seems to be a little bit ahead of the machinations and strategies of dark forces and even yes. our own egoism? Absolutely. Is, you know, that it's always, because I've known people who uh, have, for instance, uh, been doing some, uh, I'm, uh, let's say some some dark work, you know, in the realm of counterintelligence, 
and plotting and strategizing and with huge resources behind them only to find out that somehow their plans went awry and there always seemed to be something slightly more intelligent in the realm of beneficence that was outsmarting their plans for which they were being paid. And eventually, towards the end of their life, they came to, you know, they, they, they were struck by a conscience and realized what they had sold their lives to. And, but, you know, they, they recognized there's something else going on that we couldn't account for. Yeah. And uh, in the Quran, there's a beautiful verse in the Quran that says, they plot, but he plots. <laughs> He being the divine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely, I mean, God, that, if anything, the whole enigma is to explain that, is to explain how can it be that I have this relationship with this enormous loving presence and yet the world is also full of everything else. And, and that's the thing, you know, which pushes me to that. But uh, to, to, to the idea of like, like um, more like um, uh, Pierre, Pierre de Chardin, that idea of it, of it reaching towards the realization of that so that God's so that rather than God being at the beginning kind of creating it for some bizarre reason that, that, that actually that that thing I'm relating to it's the most emergent it's the it's the thing it's where all of these souls have come into communion to create this greater being of which I get to be a part and it and that I serve it by bringing that into this world which is less emergent in some way but what you're saying is that can outsmart the a the ai thing is that what you're suggesting yeah thing that's what i'm saying but it you know challenges will arise uh to our greatest intelligence and uh i think i feel that with everything could be if i'm honest i don't think i've said this publicly much maybe at all but i think the honest truth is that when i look at all of it uh you know climate change all the terrible things we face that, that could be worrying, you know, that could, could be devastating. And, and I know that devastating things can happen. I, just, I know that, you know, that bad, bad, you know, terrible things have happened in the past and, and we could have, you know, there's no reason why that, that can't happen again. But even given that, there is something about the level, when, when I touch what the heart, what we've called the heart in this conversation, there is such goodness there. And I have such confidence, such faith in that goodness, totally beyond rational, <laughs> anything rational. Just a, I can't, it's the only thing which I would know. It's like, yeah, it, that there's a sense of, it, it, there is something to have faith in that it, even that will be redeemed, that it can constantly move towards, even that it will find a way to move towards the good. Um, and yes. I can hear that in what you're saying, I think. But what I'm hearing you, you've virtually given a definition of, of faith, uh, faith being the perception and experience that we live in a fundamentally spiritual reality that has qualities of nurturance and love and growth, and everything is conspiring for our benefit, ultimately. And this is at the heart of reality. There's, a, there's one of my favorite moments in my last book, Soul Story, which I think I'd just done when I met you, which is where I'm exploring all of this attempt to bring together evolution, emergence, the idea of the evolving universe with perennial philosophy. And there's a moment in it where I just had to confess, really, and I, I do come out when I gave my philosophy lectures, usually at the end I will confess that really 
all of it for me, all of the philosophy is, is trying to shore up intellectually the incredibly childlike intuitions that arrive for me in, in what I call in the, what I call the deep awake state. When I'm, when I'm most in my heart, the things I want to say are things like, I think the example I used in the book was life is good <laughs> despite everything. Life is good and death is safe. And what really matters is love. And, and yet those things in themselves can sound completely like, oh, yeah, right, okay. You know, so, and, and yet it feels like, no, no, those actually are the deepest truths. And what I want as a philosopher is a way of understanding which goes, no, those really are the deepest truths. That, 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 that's, that is the way this actually is. It's not just yeah. a, a nice thing to say and, or put on a postcard. It's actually true in a very deep, profound sense. So true that it can redeem its opposite, which is also true. And for those, uh, for people like yourself who have glimpsed this childlike goodness in the nature of reality, then an interesting question arises, which I would like to ask you, which is, practically speaking, what is the response? What is the responsibility of those who glimpse the nature of reality. Uh, if there is such a thing as education, uh, what is the education that would lead us to uh, you know, develop in this awareness and also to develop, if we are infinitely developable, in other words, if that, yes, if there's an emergent energy in us, what forms uh, of community, of education are needed today to serve this to humanity? Well, yeah, that is a question I guess I ask myself a lot. And I, I, I think the only, what I've come to, and then I want to ask you the same question, but what I've come to is to try and go, okay, so what, I don't know the answer beyond looking at, okay, so what is the thing that, that, that Tim seems to have, which he can contribute, and then to pour my love into contributing it as freely and as fully as I possibly can. And that seems to have twofold for me. One is experiential, which is actually being together with people, and mostly for me, putting them in deep relationship. So really connecting with each other in such a way yeah. that they see each other. They see, for instance, you know, simple things like, as I'm looking at your picture on the screen right now, I'm aware that I'm, that's what I'm seeing. But even if you were here physically, I would see your face. But what I'm connecting with, as we've been saying the whole way through this conversation, is the thing I can't see. I'm, I'm yeah. connecting with your soul, and it could be all sorts of your soul. It could be all aspects. It could be the heart of your soul, or it could be the center, which is not even, which is, has no dimensions. I could connect through and I could see the universe, the whole of being, God looking back at me. And to have that, so I think there's this, this experiential side, which is to do with love, connection and love. And then because I have this other side to me, feeling like we need a new story. The first thing we need is to recognize mystery to step out of all story and just go, ah, and then having done that and never forgetting that to then go. So what now given, ah, what is the best story we can fashion? 
And that I think is why I'm having these conversations. It's like, let's, how can we fashion the best story to take us to this more emergent place? That's, that's yeah. my attempt at a response. What, 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 what's your response to that question? <laughs> well, you know, I appreciate what you said that, uh, something experiential is important and deep relationship is important. Um, that's why there in the past, there have been Gnostic communities, Sufi communities. In Sufism, for instance, Sufism is a very relational spirituality. It's clear that it's not a tutorial. It's not for hermits. It's not only and primarily an individual journey. So it is an individual journey. It's a, a journey that is facilitated uh, in relationship with others because the individual is not the ultimate unit of reality. <laughs> and um, so <clears throat> it seems to be important to find a way to create conscious you know, community in some sense. And I don't mean living in a commune. But I mean a community of seekers. Of, we, in Sufism, we would say lovers of God. I love that. That's uh, a beautiful way of putting it. You know, who, who uh, agree that <clears throat> we all need to work on ourselves. And, but also, there's a really important dimension that if it's missing, I've observed over decades, if the dimension of what we would call worship uh, is missing, and if the community relies only on techniques of self-development, it doesn't get very far. In fact, it almost always results in disillusionment. If uh, you can give people the very effective individual practices, and if the path is always conceived as uh, you know, me improving myself or becoming more conscious or even more loving as an individual, uh, it doesn't seem to go all the way. It doesn't seem to go far enough. So what I mean by worship is some way, and it doesn't have to be in a religious form or recognizably, uh, you know, allied with a particular religion, but the principle being that a group of people together somehow consciously direct themselves to this something greater, to this uh, latently divine reality. And there could be different ways of doing it. I mean, just a group meditating sort of does it, but not necessarily because meditation can still be conceived of as I'm doing a practice that will reduce my stress or I'm doing a practice that will make me more mindful in life. And it's different than a group of people uh, who unite in a sense of a common sense of together we are going to resonate with the highest reality. God. We're going to resonate with the highest truth. That is... Uh, you've said it so clearly... Korea, that is so, that's really helpful to me because, you know, I'm, I, I've, I've, I've developed this idea of, of, you know, just as a word to try and help me communicate this idea of the individual where I've gone, look, maybe we can conceive of this next stage of 
of evolution is taking us from individualism to individualism, which is individuals who know that they're one with the universe or one with life or one, you know, there's that sense of unity and that's what we're coming into. And I think, I think we are. Um, and there, and I've, I've kind of put it out in my, you know, the work, the people who've been touched by my work, you know, it's, it's not particularly big or anything and said, Hey, do you want to get together? And how can we do it? Cause it all spread out literally all over the world, you know, two here, one there, three over there, you know, all, all over the world. And seeing whether we can do this together. And I've just started something I call the, the International Community of Individuals, which is a handful of people that get together like this. I'm going to do it tomorrow night. And I've set it up on the basis, this is not something you're buying. I'm not selling you something. You're not going to get, you know, this is not, don't ask yourself what you're going to get from this. Ask yourself what you can, what you can give to this. If, you, if you're looking for what you can get, you're not the right person for this. And, and the thing which has been in the back of my mind, I haven't done it, but I'm going to do it tomorrow. I was thinking of doing it. And now you've just given it to me. Is that really orientating towards God? That, 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 that it has to be that because that's what we're, that's what we're coming into. And that's what we have to be. You know, those that live in God live in love and love lives in them. You know, it's that, and that, and that there's, that that is key in a way that just the individual development, even in relationship is not enough. And I've just, I've, you just said it so clearly. It's crystallized that thought for me. Uh, and I'm immensely grateful for that because I, I, I really, I think that's exactly right. Thank you. I think there are you know, some principles that are realized in this process. Um, and one of them is that if you have a community of individuals and you come together and orient yourself toward truth, towards the real, towards the divine. Uh, the only thing holding us back is any individual resentment or negativity that we cling to, especially in relationship, in the relationships in the group. That if you can clear the group field of those petty resentments and any forms of negativity, uh, as a matter of principle, then it is inevitable that that group, that community will ascend, will be drawn naturally because the magnetism is with the divine. I mean, the divine is calling us all the time. It's relentless. Yeah. It's yeah. powerful. Yeah. It's only uh, our little nya, 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 you know, that, <laughs> that keeps us apart. And when a group of people can come together and routinely serve each other, forgive each other, uh, see the beauty in each other, and then in a state of what we're calling worship, which is resonance with the divine, then the community as a whole is just lifted up. And um, that's where everything wants to go. <laughs> the, the, uh, I, I think the, 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 the practical issue for me is, you know, is, is how we do that in this modern modern age i i do these these events where we i gather people together and at the heart of it, i do lots of things with them ideas and all that stuff, but the heart of it in that sense that we're using the word heart really that is a, a, i'll gather we'll gather everyone together and i'll just we'll have an hour an hour and a half with beautiful music and and i'll just get people connecting in this deep deep way with person after person after person and what happens you know i'm sure you've seen it so many times it's like 
everyone just sees the beauty in each other very quickly from, oh, this is going to be a bit weird to, oh my God, this is just incredible. And there's this enormous love. And it feels like, God, I want to be doing that. You know, that should be every Sunday or Friday or Saturday, you know, whichever. that should be the holy day. You should get together with all the people, do that and just come away going, right, phew. Okay, I may be able to survive the rest of the week now and, and keep some of that. Um, exactly. But mostly it's, you know, it, the actual ability to do it physically for me with people is, you know, once a year maybe. And even then only sometimes. And therefore I'm looking at these technological fixes and whether, you know, can we do it? And, and it, it, it is something. I mean, I, I will get people connecting using this and it's quite surprised me. I mean, it amazes me that I can be in a different country, a different continent to you and feel so connected with you right now. So I guess we can... No. We are beings who, who exist beyond time and space. Yeah. So we should discount the possibility that with Zoom or WhatsApp, <laughs> we can also connect. <laughs> it's better than nothing. It's not exactly the same as being in each other's heart fields because there is an electromagnetic reality too uh, that operates and literally if you have enough people who are resonating at a certain level, there is a, a low voltage uh, transmission that entrains the hearts. And this is why spiritual development, you know, this is why Rumi could say uh, one hour with your Murshid, your spiritual master is worth more than 70 years on the prayer carpet. As beautiful as being on the prayer carpet is and necessary um, to be with those who have matured in this process uh, and not necessarily focused in a cult-like way on one person, but in a community of maturing people. Uh, everyone is, is lifted in that process. And sound is a key. Uh, all the, you know, getting to know each other and drop our defenses and know each other. Maybe there are steps. So one step could be... Um, getting to know each other, hear each other's stories. So we realize, uh, yeah, we're not, you know, you want the same thing I want and you suffered, you know, you know, so-and-so you may look affluent and powerful, but you know, you've experienced as much poop as I have. <laughs> and uh, so you get to know each other, drop your defenses. And then maybe you sing a little bit, you know, and you get into harmony through song and voices and tempo and then maybe you, you unify in a single, simple sound. You know, you get drawn closer into the center and more harmonized. And then maybe finally you arrive at silence. And in silence, as, uh, as it's been said, God's language is silence and everything else is just poor translation. <laughs> um, so... You know, if, if we could develop these forms of community and a community relationship uh, in worship, that's one part of it. There's also a dimension of knowledge, increasing our knowledge of spiritual laws, metaphysics. You know, you've done so much work in that field. And frankly, I've benefited from your books long before I met you. Um, so we need, an, uh, we need some knowledge of metaphysics in order to, to understand our equipment, our, this entity, and what is, 
what is the self, soul, heart, and spirit in order to have a clear concept of how this all works just to so that we don't get confused and waylaid in our confusion. Um, so we need knowledge, we need inspiration from the great literature of the paths, and but ultimately sinking into that childlike innocence and awe and love that we intuit and which in fact is in itself such a satisfying experience that we our very nature of ourselves is transformed by that experience yeah we cannot have that experience without being changed yeah. and i know that even meeting once a year as insufficient as that is it still makes a huge difference in a person's life if they haven't experienced that yeah wow well that feels intuitively now suddenly at this very moment like that's the place we needed to get to in this conversation to me yeah i'm so happy we've had we're having this conversation and that it's led to this um you know we 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 walked through the issues of AI and <laughs> evolution and emergence and those intellectual, you know, questions to orient ourselves. Yeah. But finally, get down to like, well, what are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah. How are we going to attain this? And how are we going to do it with others? Because we can't just do it alone. We can't do yeah. it just for us. Yeah. And I'm I'm encouraged, Kabir, because I've I've had. Uh, a couple of conversations recently, not 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 like this, but just you know for other reasons, with um, other people who are working in this area, and I'm hearing from three of them. I'm thinking, I've heard the same thing, and I'm I, so I'm hearing a common message, which is this is not about individual enlightenment anymore. This is about you know if if there really is one of us, then we wake up to it together, and that. And relationships are key, but beyond that, even there's this, 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 this commonality, which we, this greater thing, which we are part of, and that that we need to, we need to find ways to do it, new ways to do it, and and what I love about you know when I wrote all these books on body dharma or Rumi or these these were individuals who took that challenge for their time. They 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 went okay. Here's this is what I've been given. What can I do with it, which can honor the the best in it, which can bring that out for the time that I'm in? And that's why we still look back and go, thank you, because they did that. And then between us, we feel like we need to, we need to do the same thing. Yes. And there's one more thing I'd like to mention. How in my own journey, I've moved from the idea of positing some uh, goal of enlightenment um, and enlightenment, you know, that maybe one out of 10,000 people actually attains and sacrificing everything and all for that enlightenment, imagining that I must give up every uh, human desire and every aspect of the ego to attain that that goal, that prize of, of enlightenment, then I would become an, the enlightened one. I mean, it all sounds pretty silly now. When we I know. But, but, yeah, I thought it for years. <laughs> to realizing that the enlightenment is right now 
it begins with gratitude. Mm. It begins with gratitude and as a fundamental virtue. And uh, perhaps another one is patience. But, you know, gratitude is so powerful that if, that if we're on a path where continually we're giving thanks for what is right now, then it's not to say that this is the, that I've attained enlightenment, but this is the enlightenment. And that this is all, in a sense, this is all we need on this journey while recognizing we are on a journey and we're going deeper and deeper into that gratitude and, and deeper and deeper into an experience and understanding of how reality is purposeful and is, as I said before, conspiring for us to know the nature of reality. It wants to be known. You know, it's in our tradition, it said, the divine says, and I'm sure you've heard this, I was a hidden treasure and I loved to be known. So I created the world, seen and unseen, in order that my treasure of beauty and loving kindness would be known. Back to the original question, what is this life? <laughs> what is this life for? Is to know the hidden treasure. <sighs> wow. Well, that's such a beautiful circle. Uh, so all I want to say is I am incredibly grateful to have had this conversation with you, Kibria, and that you Thank are you. here doing what you're doing and that you Your are willing did. to come and talk to me. Thank you so much. You know, I'm really uh, am delighted that to have had this conversation with you and uh, that is like mirrors reflecting to each other. We could reflect that one reality in our common experience and understanding, and it is based in experience. This is not just a nice, cool set of ideas we thought up, right? <laughs> it's all, it's all that's, that's the root of everything, isn't it? That's the thing which it which needs, which asks to be explained and which then takes us further. It's experience. And, yeah. the, and the experience of that, what I just call the big love, that enormous, yeah. when, you, when, you, when you see the whole universe is pulsating with love, it, you're never the same again. Yeah. Everything yeah. is changed. So I love you. And I love you too, I'm... I'm so delighted we're connected and uh, I look forward to the next time we get the chance to talk. So do I. Thank you. Uh, may your journey be beautiful. May your road be open. May your heart be clear and beautiful. Thank you. Peace.